Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline. I write the How to Decorate blog. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Karen. I head up Ballard's branding team. We're We're your hosts. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for the tips, tricks, and tales of interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of the show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at BallardDesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. And now, on with the show. Our guest today is New York designer Corey Damon Jenkins. He's on the 8100 list, El Decor's A list, and his work has been featured in House Beautiful, Traditional Home, The New York Times, and more. He also won HGTV's Showhouse Showdown and has recently published his first book with Rizzoli last month called Design Remix, a new spin on traditional rooms. Welcome. Thank you for having me. How are you guys doing? We're, we're good. Oh my we're gosh. We, I was going for your book. <laughs> I love it. Talk about energy. You oh. know what I'm saying? So much color and pattern, but in a way that makes me want it. And I, everything in my house is gray. Thank you. You know, we were just talking before we got online about when you're producing a book, it's very much like cooking a meal for friends and also strangers. And so you really hope that what you put together in the kitchen tastes good to everybody. You can't please everyone, Mm -hmm. obviously, but you do hope it will satisfy the appetites of most people. So you put the book together, you put it out there into the world, and you just hope that people will accept it and receive it. So I appreciate the kind words. Thank Mm -hmm. you. (laughs) Your style is just so easy to love. Like there's joy. Mm -hmm. It's so joyful. It's interesting. The rooms just look like fun to live in. I mean, who doesn't want that? You call it eclectic exuberance, yes. right? Yep. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, I think that the pandemic has shaken our entire civilization as we know it. And I think in some ways it was actually a positive thing because I think that so many of us were focusing on living outside versus living inside, you know, going on that great vacation, on that great cruise, going to see friends, going to the beach. And so as a result, so many of us really weren't doing as much as we probably could have on the interior side of our lives, that interior orbit. And then Mm -hmm. the pandemic comes and we're all locked down into our homes for, you know, several months on end. And we realize, you know what, this needs to be more than what I've been giving it. I need to invest more. And so I think that eclectic exuberance really is about celebrating a maximalist approach to life. And when I say that, it doesn't mean necessarily lots of color or pattern, which is what obviously the book has a lot of, but really living well and living a high quality of life. And that means beautifying your space with whatever budget you have, entertaining, having you know great opportunities for hospitality, having friends and loved ones over, breaking out your dishes and your fine china, not just for special occasions, but for all occasions, because every mm-hmm. day should be special, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the pandemic because it took so much away from us being able to get to see people and hang out when we wanted to. Now it's like, oh my God, I can't wait to go to this cocktail party or to see my Mm -hmm. friends. Let's break out the good China just to have a a, a resurgence from what we've been going through. And I think the eclectic exuberance is all about, you know, celebrating life in an exuberant, joyful way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are we waiting for? If not for each other for today? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the intro to your book was so important to the story and to the rooms. So I would love it if you could kind of give people maybe just an abbreviated version of your background. 
I'll give you all the Cliff Notes version. My dad is a traditional man when it comes to, he wanted his sons, there's three of us in our family, to forge a professional lifestyle that was secure. And I come from a family of bankers. And so even though I always wanted to be an interior designer since I was a small child, and we have the sketches and the Crayola drawings to prove it, in the 70s and 80s, I did follow his advice. I did pursue a more formal education for interior design in New York City in the mid-1990s and then deviated from that path under his strong encouragement, ergo living under his household, and went into banking and more importantly into finance and purchasing for the big three and Metro Detroit, which is a big car state. We make cars. Mm -hmm. as our bread and butter. When 2007 hit and the recession crashed everything, Detroit and Metro Detroit was completely obliterated. I found myself along with hundreds of thousands of others out of work, you know, laid off. And that was very depressing for me. And then eventually I got my wits about myself and decided, okay, listen, what can not be outsourced to a different country? Okay, creative talent, your creative energies, your God-given gifts. And so I loved interior design and I decided to go about launching my firm. So I put together these color boards. I went to the Michigan Design Center and begged and pleaded with the various showrooms to borrow these little swatches from the memo librarians. And I sketched out some three-dimensional rooms because as you can see from the book, I love to draw. And so I I drew these three-dimensional spaces, made these foam core boards, put them in a satchel, and literally went from door to door mapping out the nicer areas of Metro Detroit. And uh, I had a goal of 1,000 doors. I started having so many rejections. I had dogs let out of the house after me. I was laughed off of construction sites by builders and architects. I had more than a number of doors slammed in my face. I was called some, some words I can't repeat on a podcast. And that was very discouraging for me. It kind of broke my heart, I think, over and over again. I think when we go mm-hmm. through so much rejection back to back to back. You lose your job, you lose your apartment, you lose your car, you lose this. The human psyche can only take so much incoming before we really start to break. So I rounded down my goal from 1,000 doors to 800. And I said, if I don't get a, a hit by 800 doors, then I'll just go work at Starbucks. At least they have benefits, health benefits, and just ride this out. Unfortunately, a super lovely and kind and trusting couple at the 779th door invited me in. He was a doctor, an anesthesiologist, and they had a really nice budget to work with for a few rooms, and they commissioned me to do it. And I put my heart and soul into it, spent my time really creating this great vision for them, and got professionally photographed, put it on my website, and then two weeks later, HGTV contacted me to be cast on my first television show. <laughs> and I won the competition. And, you know. And here you are. Here I am. That, that's a bit more than the Cliff Mills. And you've got some of that house in your book. I do. I yeah. mean, how could you not? It must just give you joy every time. Yeah. We remain very close. It's amazing mm-hmm. how things work out, how people are put together. A little bit later in the book, you talk about your book is kind of a love letter to Detroit. Like you talk about Detroit a lot, how it shaped you and informed your style. Like you're taking these age old classics Mm -hmm. and you're breathing new life into them to sort of regenerate them and like have people fall in love all over again with these classics. So I just, I loved the way those two ideas like came together. Thank you. Yeah, Detroit is, as I mentioned in the book, it's an older city, but it's not nostalgic, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have all these 
historic homes, these American colonial revival architectural gems that many of which have fallen into disrepair. And we have some clients that move in and they bring with them these great ideas and these visions from all around the world and they want to invest them into these great homes. Mm-hmm. So it's been great to find a niche of client that appreciates great architecture, but also appreciates giving it a hip, sexy you know, vibe or twist for the 21st century to keep it fresh and upbeat for how we live today. Well, what are you doing in that architecture to make it feel current? I know one of the things you're doing is painting wood. Yes. Wood paneling is good. Yes, lots of paint and some very bold choices of paint. I have seen more than a few eyebrows raised up sky high when I suggest certain colors and certain hues. But I do believe, as I mentioned in the book, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So I, I love it when I'm given a historic home that has great bones to work with because the story's already baked in. You know, the trad is there, as I say in the book. Now it's about adding the nouveau, the fresh new spin. So for me, if I have this great historic library, I can see on the front cover, I'm going to paint it navy blue. I'm going to lacquer it because mm-hmm. it was already stained for the first 100 years of its existence. So we, we got that moment. We, we did it. Now mm-hmm. let's take it to the next level. What's interesting to me, when it comes to great architecture, when you paint it, when it's stained, it's a certain look. When you paint it a certain color, it takes on a, an entirely new visage, even like um, just painting it white. Imagine a very ornate Corinthian column with the fluted detail and the capitals and all that. Painting it white makes it look like it's fondant or cake, right? Like frosting. Whereas when it's stained, it's an entirely different visual vernacular. And so I found that by painting these different moldings bright, Avocado green from 1970, because I'm, you know, 1977 circa here checking in, Um, (laughs) or navy blue or some other vibrant color. It just gives it a fresh new spin, but it still respects the historicity of what came before. I felt like modern sort of funky light fixtures was another strategy used a lot in the more traditional spaces, you know, sconces that are not what you would expect or a great chandelier. Talk about that. Cause I feel like that's probably something where it's just, it's such an easy change right? and it makes such a big impact. Yeah. I look at lighting as jewelry and I really appreciate you saying that because I think that light fixtures are one of those things that people often overlook when they're doing the decoration and design process, but great fixtures, great chandeliers, great sconces. They are like the string of pearls on a great dress. Even if the dress is very simple, the right clutch, mm. the right pair of pumps, the right string of pearls or jewelry just sets off the entire thing, even if it is kept more streamlined and simple. So sometimes, again, with the architecture story, you don't have to do too much because the architectural elements are already so powerful and vibrant. But sometimes you have a project where there isn't really a lot of architectural wow factor to play with. And so now you have to you know, double up and level up on the light fixtures to compensate for some sort of wow factor. I really believe that Every room should have one or two or five, but at least one <laughs> wow factor. <laughs> the diva in the room, you called it yes. at a certain point. Absolutely. The lead songstress. Amen. Yes. <laughs> well, speaking of that, because you talk about pick a leader in the sort of the lessons or in between chapters. And I loved the format of that because it just, it kind of like sums up everything you just sort of talked about and gives you really approachable, practical tips that anyone can learn from. And so there's one around mixing patterns and that's what you talk about, picking a leader. So I I loved that 
you know, we talk sometimes about like a focal point, but I feel like leader just makes, it's a much better turn of phrase to to convey what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's really important that you don't overdo it. You know, I do consider myself a maximalist and I do know that the industry and the design styles are really leaning more towards the more maximalist angle these days because of, we've had so much of the gray beige cream story for a long time, the last 20 years or so. But even with maximalism, you had to have restraint, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't have a great film if everyone is a lead actor and lead actress. You have to have supporting characters. It's too much <laughs> of a good thing. So you have to know when to peel back when mm-hmm. to say, okay, this chandelier will be the lead actress, and now everything else has to play a subservient role. And that means that maybe, you know, Louis XVI Berger chair, you don't get to have that powerful fabric overall the entire frame. I'm going to just do a pillow now on you because now geometrically you are conflicting with the origami nature of the chandelier in the same space. It's all about, you know, scale and, and, and mm-hmm. texture and balance. And it's a science. It's color theory. It's spatial balance. It's, there's so much that goes into it than just decorating. And that's why I think people, I think sometimes underestimate just how much goes into making these rooms the way they look. It's complicated. Yeah. One of your little primers between chapters is about salon walls or gallery walls. And I'm looking at the one behind you. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I, I even love the sketch that you did in the book. It had the guy blowing a bubble. And yeah. then there was, you know, a cool like tribal necklace and there, you know, there were 3d pieces in it. People always want to do salon walls, gallery walls, but it's hard to pull off. Can you just speak to it a little bit? What you think is the magic ingredient? Absolutely. Uh, and thank you for the question. I, I really try to make design remix about peeling away some of the mystique of what we do as interior designers and decorators and showcasing more about what we do behind the scenes. And this was such an example where I explained that what I like to do is I put together what I want to put on the wall and I lay it out on the floor. I think sometimes people think this is, you know, we, we stand on one foot and balance a pumpkin on our head and we, you know, sight spells and somehow this is how this room comes to be it really isn't magic it's about laying things out on the floor and getting a measuring tape out and and sketching it out and making sure that it fits the vision so for a salon style wall like i have behind me i like to lay everything out and i can sometimes spend hours moving things around i can say this having done this for so long I will have a vision in my head for a client's space and we get in the field on site and then I lay it out as I planned it in my head. I'm like, you know what? That was good up here, but it's not good out here. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. we need to tweak this. We need to move this piece of artwork over a foot. And now I need to switch these two pieces. But when it goes up on the wall, it looks great. The goal is to try not to make too many holes in the wall. And make mistakes. So plan it out on the floor and take your time. Yeah. Does that happen yeah. with furniture as well, Corey, when you get on site where, you know, you have your whole plan and you're like, okay, I'm going to move these lamps. This chair isn't going to work here. Or, or is that a tighter plan? Yeah, that doesn't really happen for me. Mm-hmm. And I say that only because with furniture, it's so specific. It's all about the scale and the mm-hmm. sizing. So this sofa may only fit in this one area. Right. It is an 86 inch wide sofa this is where it goes because it can't go mm-hmm. anywhere else in this room. So with that type of layout, I'm pretty much, I stick to my floor plan. Mm-hmm. But I will say this before I pitch to the client and go over what my, my vision is, we may move things around on a CAD drawing electronically, uh-huh. on a mood board, on a sketch. Absolutely. But once we get in the actual field with stuff like that, 
the big ticket items, the big pieces, we don't move those around so much. But accessorizing the objet you put on coffee table books, you know, the vases, you know, all of that pretty stuff, that for sure can be moved around. And to be honest with you, when we leave, the client's going to move it around anyways. So, right. <laughs> well, you talked too a little bit about with clients who are couples, balancing those desires of what each of them wants. And sometimes they're very different. How do you manage the expectations of two people who have very different wants? Bribery. Ah. Um, <laughs> yeah, bribery. So the age-old yeah, strategy. I mean, I mean, husbands and wives use it all the time. And as a designer, we have to become diplomats sometimes. So we have to come in there. We have to negotiate with people. So I'll, I'll tell a husband, we had, we had a project that was covered on Architectural Digest. And the husband was like, you know, I really want everything black, white, and, and gray. I want neutrals. And the wife was like, no, my favorite color is lipstick red. And so I said, okay, well, if I give you this room at you know 70% neutral palette. We're going to go with neutral schemes as far as the rugs, the sofas, the wall color, the window treatments. Can I give you crimson red on these two chairs and on accessories and on pillows? And then in the kitchen, can we do a bright fire engine red Lacanache range and hood? Perfect. And he was like, a lock and notch range and hood. That's, you know, so I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You wanted the neutral story. You got like, 70%. Yeah. Right, you got 70%. She's like, yeah, you got 70%. Said, yeah. <laughs> so we'll give you the whole, the wall color, the trim, everything will be gray and cream and black and white, which is what you're asking for. But the wow factor will be this wall of red metal, this fire engine red hood and range and pops of it throughout the space. So it's about negotiation and it turned mm-hmm. out beautifully. He does not regret any of it, but it's all about balancing out what both sexes want. And sometimes yeah. they're very disparate and sometimes they're right on on point. You know, it's probably good that they both had each other because like, what if you had just had carte blanche to use lipstick red everywhere? Or what if you'd had to stick with that? Black um, and white. Yeah, black and white and gray. I mean, I know you could do it them both beautifully, but I feel like they, that was a good it was good balance. Yeah, good it was compromise. fun. Well, speaking of color, um, you say that you're always trying to sell your clients on yellow, which <laughs> often when we talk to designers, they're like yellow is really hard to work with. It's just a difficult color. Now, why are you wanting yellow in a room? I think yellow is just such a happy, joyous color. And a lot of my clients in the Northeast and in Canada and the Midwest, they're blanketed in snow and gray skies for large, you know, swaths of the year. And so to me, you know, yellow is a great cure for the wintertime blues, which a lot of my clients will readily admit they get when there's just sustained gray skies for so long. Mm -hmm. But I will qualify that by saying that there are different shades of yellow. Mm -hmm. You have goldenrod, you have amber, you have cream, you have butter, you have sunshine yellow. So there's a lot of different ranges of color in that spectrum. And so I think when people hear the word yellow, they automatically think of Big Bird. Uh And that's just one shade of it. But there's some more sexy, darker, warm shades as well. They're much more romantic Mm -hmm. that are yellow. Uh, We're doing a project right now in Greenwich where we painted the ceiling this creamy, buttery almost i can't believe it's not butter (laughs) (laughs) and and we we paired it with like this sage olive trim and then this fantastic hand-painted scenic mural which is all in sepia it's fabulous and the husband was so anti-yellow until he saw the right shade Mm. and he was like oh 
that's yellow. I'm like, yes, it's the color of the butter you put on your toast every morning, man. And, they, <laughs> and he, he loves waking up to us. It's all about explaining and showing them mm-hmm. the range. Well, speaking of ceilings, I mean, oh. I feel like you're the, the master of ceilings. What are sort of your guidelines for thinking about ceilings, especially for those of us who maybe have never even considered treating our ceiling? <laughs> well, you know, there are six walls in a room, right? You have the four walls surrounding you, the floor, which is another plane of visual energy, and then you have the ceiling above you. Every other wall, with the exception of the ceiling, can be visually obscured, whether it be by a rug or a furniture piece or something else, you know, artwork on the walls, whatever. The ceiling is the only real plane in a room that can be completely naked to the eye from everyone. Everyone looks up naturally. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a great opportunity to make a statement. A lot of my clients are young parents and they have these children that they're raising and they don't, they want to splurge and they want the nice wall coverings, but their kids are are growing or they have these pets that are, you know, clawing things and destroying property. And so (laughs) they don't really want to invest in the high-end wall coverings, right? But the point is, if you can make that ceiling be that wow factor, you can splurge up there. And I actually pointed this out on on Rachel Rant. I was telling her about the process of, with your budget, if you only have so much to work with, but you want to splurge, splurge on the ceiling. Because Mm -hmm. everyone can see it. You can paint your walls, which is a very inexpensive process, Mm -hmm. and then pull down elements of the wall covering on the ceiling into your pillows, into your rug, into your vases and your accessories. And it looks very couture and very fashion forward and often for a fraction of the cost. Great Mm -hmm. tip, honestly. Because you're right. It is a lot of bang for the buck. I mean, people are going to be like, wow, I can't believe you did that. And then it Mm -hmm. also doesn't get ruined. So smart. Okay, so speaking of kids' rooms, nearly every designer, including yourself, talks about how formative their own childhood room is. And I feel like we could all probably relate to that, you know, something you loved or hated about your room growing up. And I just liked how you kind of talk in there about these are formative spaces for your kids. So, like, make them reflect your child and make them fun and and you certainly do that and you can kind of maybe expand on this but like there are ways to incorporate their interests even if you know they're going to change in a way that's stylish and maybe can age or can be easily swapped out down the road and i think that kids rooms are often overlooked i think again that's another thing that the pandemic kind of put an exclamation point on if you will so many parents were doing the homeschooling thing and working from home with their kids, feeling trapped. Mm. So when we were playing together the book, we, were, we started working on this like three years ago. But by the time we got to this part of the, of the book's development, we were in the pandemic. And so I was getting all these DMs coming through. And I was like, you know what? We should do a chapter on kids' rooms. So we put together a whole chapter of all these photograph spaces and they're carefully thought out kids' bedrooms and they have offices for kids and lounge spaces. You know, these are these are these are areas that are specifically designed to inculcate in children the need to live a good life to study, to prepare, to love each other, to love their friends, to uh, love their siblings, right? And mm-hmm. to appreciate good interior design and decoration from a very young age. But also just like imagination, creativity, individuality. Like those are, I think, things we all want our children to foster. And like, it's just a great modeling behavior. We often overlook those children's rooms and think it's a waste of resources to make them beautiful or make them inspiring. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's good for parents to really, you know, take the time to ask their children. As I mentioned in the book, I talked about my process. I interview the kids with their parents present. I ask them questions. You know, it's what is your favorite color? What is your favorite mm-hmm. pattern? Why do you like this? And sometimes the parents are shocked. And they wonder why their kids won't stay in their rooms, why they rebel at school, you know, why they won't play with their toys. But did you ask them, what's your favorite color? Why well, just I just knew I'm their mother. <laughs> well, They are individual humans and they have Mm -hmm. their own vision on things. So just asking the kids, what do you like? Can save you a lot of money and heartache and also perhaps a few cans of paint. (laughs) As you talk about how you want the the space to, like you're saying, resonate with the the people inside of it and and have the things that they cherish. In one of the offices, you had framed Wheaties boxes for a sports fan, Uh right? And the other thing that you framed, which I never would have thought of, doilies grandma's doilies on a navy oh my god you caught that (laughs) i thought that was smart because we'd have these things that when you look at them first blush it's like oh that's just so old-fashioned but you flipped it on its head by making it this little installation art i loved it yeah i have this adorable client to have those pieces framed and tied in you know we do it in such a way to where it ties in with the color palette so it really feels organic and and cohesive with the overall vision of the space i really mm-hmm. wanted the clients homes to in their personalities to kind of shine because they're all very different very different very personalities different. well you do say people yeah. are wanting more these days to repurpose what they have and i love that i think that's mm-hmm we don't all have to throw everything out and start over. And that, you know, you, that's how you get a house with no soul. A lot of what you've been talking about is how to really bring the customer or the client's voice through. But this is something that you do as a signature, which is drapery peplums. I think first of all, you (laughs) should explain what they are and why you love them so much. (laughs) Thank you. Well, so Peplum drapery is one of my signatures that has such a certain, you know, connotation with certain people, but Peplum draperies can be a tie that binds visually for a space. And it's all about contrasting colors and and pulling things together in a way to where the whole room feels balanced. So if I want a little splash of this emerald green sofa on this wall, but I don't have a lot of that green in the fabric on the window treatment, I do a little topper. And it's really inspired by the fashion runway. When you look at the the works of Jean-Paul Gaultier and Belmont and Elie Saab and Valentino, so many of these great models are wearing these fantastic um, gowns that have peplums, where they have like a little Mm -hmm. peplum top, uh, a cool belt or some sort of trim across the bottom, and then this flowing like gown underneath the bodice. And so I took that as like my inspiration and started designing window treatments to kind of mirror that. And it's very fashion forward. It's very hip. It, the, the, my, my female clients love it because it does remind them of a very beautiful high-end couture fashion mm-hmm. gown. But it's also, for me as a designer, a great way of tying all my colors and patterns together in a more cohesive way on the windows, which is hard mm-hmm. to do sometimes. I loved it. Should we do a decorating dilemma? I think you need to help someone. Oh, God. Yes. Here we go. Sorry. Buckle up. <laughs> Hello, I really enjoy listening to your podcast from the trials and triumphs to the guests to the decorating dilemmas. The podcasts are always engaging and informative. Thank you, Lisa. My decorating dilemma is my living room. I need help with furniture, furniture placement, whether to add or eliminate furniture, my fireplace and the lack of light. I recently downsized and relocated to this house that is a 32-year-old ranch style home. 
The living room is 13 by 17 with four doorways. The back wall has a fireplace, window, and an exterior door to a covered deck. The covered deck really cuts down on the natural light to the room, and the flooring is a dark wood-looking tile and an area rug. The walls will be painted next month. The paint color I have in mind is Benjamin Moore's Tapestry Beige. The oil painting over the sofa was an inherited piece for my in-laws. The sofa is new, and the other furniture is older. The vanity in the corner with the computer is temporary until I find a small corner desk. The chest that holds the TV is temporary until I find something else. Okay, so a lot of items that are sort of in, in limbo. Except yeah. Any suggestions on the following items would be appreciated. Furniture placement, the furniture piece that holds the TV, and some shelves for decor items. I thought I saw an open metal and wood shelving unit at Ballard. Not sure if it would fit. Furniture piece for the corner. She needs a furniture piece for the corner computer. She needs end tables. She wants to know what to do about the fireplace brick. Should she paint it, whitewash it, or leave it as is? The fireplace mantle is too close to the firebox. <laughs> Sorry. It's complicated. <laughs> what? This is very complicated. Okay. What type of artwork should I put over the fireplace? And then finally, the window treatment idea for the one window. So I'm thinking she just needs some advice on what can she do in here to make this work for her? Well, it sounds like there isn't a lot of natural light coming into the room. So one thing mm-hmm. I advise clients is when you have a space that doesn't get a lot of natural light, don't fight that. Because I think sometimes the tendency is, well, I don't get a lot of natural light, so I'm going to go into super neon bright with my color uh, selections and my paint colors, which ends up looking desperate in a space that clearly does not get a lot of natural light. So if the room is not getting a lot of natural light, I would embrace that and go with darker, moodier, sexier colors that you know, hopefully that, that she's comfortable with. So that's my first recommendation. What she might want to consider is embracing something that's a bit warmer for the space. I think about Weathersfield Moss by Benjamin Moore. It's a really sexy, warm, cozy moss green. And that might be a really nice foil for the blue and the red mm-hmm. that you're mentioning, the paisley, and kind of give it a bit more of a, of a pop. If the wood on the floors is like a dark walnut mm-hmm. stain, is it kind of like a darker stain? Then that would be a nice contrast um, for warmth. And now it's not necessarily beige, but it's still a bit more of a neutral because this particular shade of sage green is much more on the, on the puttier, like putty grayish brown side, with a little hint of green. And then maybe with the trim, you know, paint it white. Maybe you paint the trim beige, you know, to kind of break it up. I would keep the brick as it is. The mantle, the surround, all that is fine. The ceiling fan, it needs to be updated. Unless she's really using it for true air circulation, get a nice chandelier, level it up a little bit there. The rug is fine from what I can see, especially if she does go with more of a sagey color for the walls. And then the furniture, all that will really contrast and pop nicely against that. As far as window treatments, I'm looking at the one to the left of the fireplace. You have a window there and you have what appears to the be the exterior door. Exterior door. So you can do a statch Roman shade on the exterior door for privacy. In the same fabric, you could do a pair of panels on the windows. Because she has more of a traditional aesthetic, I would probably recommend mm-hmm. a pinch pleat drapery 
or a, a Europleat style drapery on, on decorative rods on that window. They have it be have the fabric from the panels with the same fabric on the stat Roman shade on the door. That way, visually, it all kind of sings and speaks the same language. And then maybe pull that same fabric onto some pillows, maybe on the on the chairs in the room, just for continuity. I feel like the greatest thing about this room is that painting over the back of the sofa. Like, yeah, it's it's fun. fun. And she can really play more of that. Yeah, it's it's a great piece. She could actually really play up more of that, bring out some of that aquamarine Mm -hmm. into pillows on. I I feel like I see some blue or green in that paisley. So I could definitely see a solid pillow or two in that aquamarine to kind of pop on the sofa or maybe on the chairs, the chocolate chairs nearby. Certainly it needs a coffee table or some sort mm-hmm. of ottoman, different than what we have here, something a bit larger and more uh, square to kind of fill up that space. As far as the, the, the TV and the entertainment system, you know, you technically could use that, that chest that the TV mm-hmm. is sitting on as a coffee table for storage. Just pull that over in front of the sofa and that way you can save some money there. But then you just spend some money on getting a, a slightly taller uh, credenza mm-hmm. to put the TV on or some sort of armoire that you can put the TV in and then close what behind do you think doors. What is going to be a good solution yeah. for her little workspace that she's she's got going on there in the corner? Yeah. And also, like, the TV, you could hang that on the wall and then, you know, get some sort of stellar credenza that also serves as storage for your family. Exactly. Put your printer yeah, in absolutely. there. And put, like, your all printer your in there. Like, all that. that. And then just yeah. Like- yeah, I mean, I think that that little corner, is, it's it's tough because it's just kind of like it's facing the wall. So the first thing I would do is I would flip it and have the desk facing out towards the room. So mm-hmm. you're not, like, it, it feels like you're right. a three-year-old put on punishment to go sit in the corner, you know, on timeout. So I would flip the orientation of the desk and chair so that it's facing out into the room. Even if the desk is right up against the wall, but just facing outwards would be a huge improvement. The rug, as I mentioned, is fine, but it could get in the way of flipping that desk around. But if you go for a larger rug that kind of covers up more of the floor, then that desk could sit on that rug and then the chair could sit on the wood floor behind it. I do think that people are more productive when they're not necessarily facing a wall, but looking out a window or looking out at their loved ones or just looking at anything but a beige wall. (laughs) That's what I would recommend. I have to say, I feel like from the question, just before looking at the photo, Lisa, you're in way better shape than I expected from all the many questions you had. Like, you have a good base here. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. something round in the room would be nice too. Think about your shapes, like you were saying. Yeah, definitely mix up the mix up the shapes of your end tables. You can mix and match. Maybe do a square on one side of the sofa and do a round table on the other side. Nothing says that everything has to be the same table or the same mm-hmm. geometry. It can be mixed up. Okay, can I voice what might be an unpopular opinion? Sure. I feel like I feel like <laughs> she needs to either replace or her relocate her lamps. I mean, I like the but like New do lamps. something yeah. with <laughs> color, do something with bigger. Like mm-hmm. I just feel like they date the whole room. Well, like that aquamarine or that sky blue that you see in the painting. Imagine the lamps being in that mm-hmm. and get some nice drum shaped uh, shades. Pretty. That bring a bit more, you know, edge to the space. I think if you if you do the walls in a, in a warmer color palette and then splash some of the other colors that are in the painting throughout the space, it mm-hmm. could do a lot to really make yeah. it come together. In fact, honestly, even with the window treatments, 
depending upon what wall color she would go with, there's an opportunity there to really bring in some color as well. You know, it looks like you have enough light going on. Add some more lamps. If you have to have it for the utilitarian coolness, Mm -hmm. you don't need it to be dual function. You can just have a fan that just keeps you cool. (laughs) And maybe don't get one that's white. Get get a, a fan that has some sort of finish to it. I do think that some of these things fall outside of utilitarian and really do fall into mm-hmm. fashion. There's so many great fan options out there. And I think that nice wood fan here with some wood blades could kind of, again, warm it up. Could play almost like furniture up there. Like it could have some mm-hmm. sort of, you know, style to it or a nice, you know, black metal fan or something that has some sort of textural finish, warm mm-hmm. up that otherwise very chilly yeah. soft and that way you have a bit of a contrast. But only if you must. I feel like the chandelier is so much. That would just chandelier. add so much yeah. fabulous. Go with the chandelier. Room. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right, Corey, can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work, all that good stuff? Yes, yes. Thank you. I can be followed at, at Corey Damon Jenkins, C-O-R-E-Y-D-A-M as in Mary, E-N as in Nancy, J-E-N-K-I-N-S on Instagram, on Facebook, CoreyDamonJenkins.com is the website. The book is available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. Of course, by all means, please support your local booksellers and Ballard as Ballard. well. We're carrying yeah. the book. I don't know yeah. if you knew that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did actually. I was I am so honored. We're such huge fans of Ballard and we have, you know, featured so much of the product in our work. You can see some of it in the book. It's in my it's, it's in both of my homes, both here in New York and my home in Michigan. So it's a nice, a nice balance of style and price point, which we really appreciate and just adore. So it's great to be on with you guys just because of that. I'm like, oh I love these people. I have the product in my own house. <laughs> Including my coffee table right in front of me, which is great. (laughs) We love to hear it. We love to hear it. Well, thank you so much. This was fun. And we love, I mean, I loved the book. It was, like I said, just so, just such joyful rooms. Thank you. Thank you. It means a lot to me that you all were willing to give us the spotlight. It's really Mm -hmm. like self-help for decorators and Mm -hmm. design enthusiasts. You can really learn a lot from us in terms of how to do what we do. And the love it. For sure. All right, that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcastballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy, happy decorating. decorating.